Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Hi, I'm Miranda Wright, and this is day 79 of our 120-day Upper Room Prayer Campaign. Today we're going to pray for God to show us his will for our life, that we might get in alignment with it and see destiny fulfilled. Every person individually has a destiny. We are all predestined to some call of God on our life. Every call is different, but God created you with a purpose, and that is the destiny that he preformed you to walk in. However, you have to choose to line up with that destiny. You have to be in right standing, which is the definition of righteousness. When you see Bible talking about righteous people, it means to be in right standing. In other words, be in alignment with God's will for your life. And when you get into alignment with his will, then the anointing will flow. Because the anointing is the power of God to accomplish his will, not our own. If you want to see the anointing and the power of God, you've got to get into alignment with his plan for your life and walk it out. And then the power intersects because he's going to do what he has to do to bring about his will, even if he's got to perform miracles to do it. The anointing will flow because that power is purposed to empower the position for which you were predestined. So let us pray. Lord, we come before you today and we thank you. We thank you for the blood that cleanses us and washes us and enables us to come before your throne and to seek your face, to find out what your will for us is. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that then comes into us, Lord, and gives us the grace, the anointing, the power to walk that will out, Lord, in a way we could not do in and of ourselves, but when we put our faith and our trust in you, Lord, that grace comes as a byproduct of aligning ourselves with your will and that destiny that you have planned for us. So, Lord, we pray that you give us ears to hear, Lord, eyes to see, and a heart to receive and understand the things that you are speaking to the church today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to open to Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God. Now, do all things work together for everybody? No, No, there's a condition. All things work together for the good of them that love God to them that are called according to your own purpose, to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestine, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified. To whom he justified, them he also glorified. Simplified, that means that what he starts, he is faithful to finish. He has a plan for your life. Every person is predestined to a specific call in the body, and everybody's call is different. 
That is the plan that God created you to fulfill. And here's the kicker. It's better than anything you could ever hope to achieve in and of yourself without him. However, most people do not walk out the will of God for their lives. And why do we know this? Because it says in Matthew 7, and we're not going to go there, but it says that straight is the gate that leads to life, and few are they that find it. When you say, well, why do only a few people actually find that gate of life, that, that opening to heaven? Well, if you go a little further down, it says that not all who say unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father which is in heaven. So that means that the many that miss it, it's because they did their own will. The few that found it, it's because they did God's will. They submitted to the plan that God had created them for, that which they were predestined to walk in but others chose not to. We have a choice. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Now we want to talk a little bit about the anointing because the anointing is the power of God that breaks the yoke. You know, it's hard work to try to create your own current. It's a lot easier to submit to the flow of God's current. There is power in the anointing of Jesus Christ. He breaks the yoke of bondage. He brings the salvation. He brings the increase. He brings healings. He brings deliverance. He brings everything that you need to see and believe that this thing is real and to change people's lives. We can try and stir it up and mimic it and create it in our own flesh, but it won't break any bondages. If you want your life changed, you need the anointing, the power of God. But the anointing only comes to accomplish God's will and not our own will. So why do you find yourself sometimes sitting in services where you're fighting to keep your eyes open because there's no presence there? Because it's not being directed to obey the will of God. It's doing somebody else's will. Somebody had a plan. Somebody had a program. Somebody saw somebody else do something and decided to mimic it, and it didn't work because we can't do it but when we align ourselves with what God has called us to do, he comes and does it so that he can get the glory from it. Your destiny comes into play only when you line up with God's will for your life. And so today is a check for each individual because it's easy to get out of alignment with what God has called you to do. You are the earthly vessel. God is the heavenly power. Remember that the scripture says, and I love this, when it says in the Our Father, when Jesus is praying and he says, Lord, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And we sing that song, yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want you to examine what's being said there. We talk about thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about what Jesus is saying there. Thy kingdom come, when will it come? When your will is done, where? on earth as it is in heaven. You want to see the power of the kingdom of God manifest where you are? You have to do his will. When his will is done on earth as it is in heaven, his kingdom comes. And where his kingdom comes, it overrules the power of the lesser kingdom that is here. Is there sickness in heaven? That's why you see healings when his kingdom comes. Is there oppression in heaven? That's why you see deliverance when his kingdom comes. Are there lost people in heaven? That's why you see salvations when his kingdom comes. But his kingdom will only come when his will is done on earth, just like it is in heaven. You know, whenever Moses built the tabernacle in the Old Testament, 
it says that God showed him an exact replica of what heaven looked like and gave him the dimensions to replicate on small scale what the throne room of God looked like so that God would come inhabit it. What does that tell us about the character of God? That he wants to reside in a place that is as much like heaven as possible on earth. And if our body is the new temple, then we've got to get our body into alignment to be as heaven-like as possible before he will come and indwell it. We've got to get in alignment with his will. (laughs) But I will tell you this. It sounds good, but it don't feel good. Because in order to come into alignment with his will, we're all going to face some Gethsemane moments. When Jesus knelt in the garden of Gethsemane and he had to pray that prayer that he was sweating so hard that his sweat fell as great drops of blood, the scripture says, what was he praying? Father, not my will, but thy will be done. It hurt for even Jesus to have to submit to the will of God because God's will is perfect, but it's not always easy. It's going to cost us something. That's why Jesus said that you have to count the cost in order to pick up your cross. It's going to cost us something. Do you know what the cost of the cross really is? It's your will. The cost of picking up the cross and walking in the power of the anointing is your will. It's your will for his will. Your plan for his plan. Not my will, but thy will be done. Then destiny happens. So let destiny happen. Before Jesus could walk into his destiny, the culmination of what he was put here to do, he had to pray that prayer, thy will be done. Not my plan, not in my logic, not in my understanding, not in my feelings, because the devil works your feelings, what you want. What do you want? What do you want me to give up? What do you want me to take up? What do you want me to do? What do you want me not to do? Seek his will and his power will fill you to accomplish it in ways that you never can. Your will is part of your soul. Quick little lesson, we're not gonna go into detail. God is three parts, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is a triune God. He created us in his image because we are now also three-part human beings, triunes. We have a body, a soul, and a spirit. The Bible says that the the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing between the soul and spirit. These are two separate things. So if we have three parts, the part that is associated with the will in Scripture is the soul. Your soul is the mind, the will, and your emotion. Your soul is what you want, what you think, what you feel. So when a situation arises and you say, well, I think it should happen this way, that is not intellect that is coming from the Holy Spirit. That is your selfish soul. Well, I feel we should do it this way. That is not God. The logic of man will never bring the power of God. Only obedience. So what do you have to do to get the power of God's Holy Spirit? You have to die. You have to crucify the flesh. And when you die, what happened to Jesus on the cross? Who is our example? He gave up the ghost. If you look in the Hebrew, the same word for soul is the word for ghost. So when it says you have to die, you got to give up the ghost. That is that old man that says, I want to do it this way. You have to let yourself die. Let it go and say, Lord, come and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to be led by 
your spirit, not by what I think, what I feel, and what I want. Not by that old selfish soul that was telling me what feels good, but by what you say because your plan is perfect. We have to let self die before we can receive him. So if you really want to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, I think a lot of people go through the motions, but they never feel the change. It's because they've never been crucified. How can you have a resurrection experience if you've never died? Lay it down. And that includes laying down your will, your logic, your emotions, what you think is right, who you think God is. Pick up the word and find out what he really is and just trust it. Walk in alignment with it. Go to Hebrews 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. What does this mean? It's going to cost you something. It may not always be glory. A lot of times we look at big ministries, we look at God using or moving in people's life, we look at big blessings and we're like, well, I want that, but you don't know what they went through to get to that place. They had to give up some stuff. God says, be faithful in the little things and I'll make you ruler over much because you've got to walk out faith before he will then pour out his grace. You can't get the blessing until you've passed the lesson. So you've got to trust him for it. It might cost you some finances. It might cost you some humble living. It might cost you some time, some inconvenience. It might cost you some social rejection, some heartaches. It might cost you your job, your friends, even your family. It might even cost you your life. For some, it has. Will you count the costs to see the glory of God. And you know, it's not in the notes and I didn't plan it, but it came out during the worship. You know, Moses cried out, Lord, show us your glory. And we all want to see the glory of God manifested in our lives, in our church, in our community, and in our schools. But Moses knew that to see the glory of God meant that he would have to die. Are we willing to let go of what we want to receive what God has? And it's an issue of faith because what he has is better than what we can get. But we've got to trust it. We've got to trust it so that he can give it. Because as long as we keep doing it our own way, we're getting out of alignment with his plan and there's no power to accomplish anything in it. One thing, though, it will assuredly cost you is your plan. You have to give up your plan, take up your cross, and follow Jesus' example. But for those who do, just like Jesus, you have a promise. You have a joy. You have a hope that is set before you that will help you to endure if you believe. It says that Jesus was able to endure the wilderness, the journey, because he had faith in the promise that was coming afterwards. 
And God will do the same thing with you. He'll give you a vision. He'll give you a promise. He'll give you a destination. And you've got to, by faith, hold on to that while he gets you through the process to get the stuff off of you that would cause you to destroy it once you got it. you got to get through that wilderness so that you can get the Egypt out of you so that when you grab hold of the promised land, you don't bring all that Egypt into it and pollute it. There's a process, but you've got to trust him through the process and don't turn around and run back to Egypt. Because Egypt is easy, but the promise is worth it once you get there. He gives you a promise that his plan is better than yours, that his love is unfailing, that his grace is enough. If you will trust in the promise, you will endure the wilderness it takes to get you to it. You have to trust the promise. What, is, what are you praying for? What are you reaching for? What is that thing that you are fighting for in the spirit? Do you truly believe that God has promised you that thing? And if so, no matter what it looks like, you better have faith and cling to it because it's only going to get worse. You know, the cowardly lion, I think it's going to get darker before it gets lighter. Yeah, it usually gets a lot worse before you see the victory, but that's why it takes faith. Jesus said in John 4, 34, He said, my meat or my nourishment is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. You don't only have to get the promise. You have to be obedient to walk out the instructions along the way. You know, I hear so many people, I want to hear the Lord. Teach me how to hear the voice of the Lord. Well, the reason you're not hearing the voice of the Lord is because he told you something a week ago and you didn't listen. So why would he keep talking until he says something? A lot of people want God to just keep jabbering until he says something they want to hear. But sometimes he told you something two years ago that you didn't obey. And so he stepped back and he's still waiting for you to be faithful in the little thing before he will pour more on you. It takes endurance. It takes faithfulness in endurance. The Israelites were excited when they left Egypt. Oh, they're out of bondage. That's like our salvation. Oh, yeah, we're great. We're out from under that cruel taskmaster. But now they have to go through a wilderness before they move into promise. They didn't only have to get out of Egypt. They had to endure the wilderness. And many fell away. Many didn't make it. In fact, out of the original two million, only two made it in. That's why narrow is the way and few are they that find it. It takes endurance. But this is where the power of God gets to shine forth. This is where miracles reside. The world will never see grace manifest where faith is not first tested to demonstrate and release that grace. You know what miracles are? Miracles are grace. You know what gifts are? Gifts are grace. You know what signs and wonders are? Grace. But unless there is faith demonstrated and tested to prove it, you're never going to see the manifestation of it. Grace doesn't come easy. Faith tested allows for grace to be proven. When your faith is tested and tried and something rises against you, it gives reason for the power of God's grace to come through you to get rid of that opposition and that obstacle. And that's where you see miracles manifest. But it's only going to happen on the path of God's will for your life, on that destiny that he has for you. 
It's not going to happen when you're doing your own thing. God's not wasting his time and his energy just doing a pony show for people. So many people want God to perform like it's a side show. I just entertain me, Lord. I want to see a miracle. There is purpose to the things that God does. And if it's an entertainment, then it's not coming from the Spirit of God. It's coming from a counterfeit. What God does, he does with purpose for the glory of his kingdom. If we want to see the real thing, you got to line up with his purpose for your life. If your destiny is to get you to a promised land and a sea stands in your way, God will part it to get you there. Nothing will stop God's will as long as you are in alignment and agreement with it and walking that thing out by faith. The more the enemy comes against it, the more you should rejoice, as Paul said, because the more you know God is about to move some mountains to make sure you get to that destination. The world is about to see a manifestation of God's power and glory because the devil's trying to stop what God has set forth to do. He has predestined it, and as long as I stand in agreement and alignment with it, he's going to do it. And here's the really sad part. He's going to do it anyway because God's will is sure. He will get what he wants, but your position in it is not guaranteed. He can pass your placement to somebody else. If you're not willing to get into position, he can call somebody else to walk that thing out. It takes faith. But the good news is, is that when you do get in alignment, get into position with his will and just Go where he tells you to go. Do what he tells you to do. Give up what he tells you to give up. Take on what he tells you to take on. You don't have to do the work to bring about the miracle. You don't have to do the work to bring the anointing. You don't have to work the crowd up. You don't have to do that labor to do all of the production that it takes to mimic the miracle. God will do the work. You just go with the flow. You don't have to try to work up the power. You just have to get into position, which is right standing, which is righteousness. You have to get into right standing with God's plan, and he has already predestined you for that plan, so he has already incorporated the power it takes to get you to it. You get into position, and God will do the rest. And I'll give you, a, I'll give you the cheat sheet. The position is a position of submission. You need to get into prayer, find out what he wants, get into his word, find out what he says, and submit to it. And then the power will flow to get you through it. However, don't believe the lie that it's going to happen no matter what. Because a lot of people will like to say, well, if it's God's will, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It doesn't matter what you do. It's going to happen anyway. Let me tell you, there can be no Pentecost without Passover. Pentecost was the time when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came in the New Testament and the power of God fell and miracles started happening and people operating in the gifts and you see great revival and everybody wants that. Oh, give me the Pentecost. Give me the gifts. Give me the revival. Give me the glory. But Pentecost could not come until first they had gone through Passover because historically Passover happens 50 days before Pentecost and Passover is sacrifice. Passover is death. Passover is sorrow. And you got to go through that valley of the shadow of death before you can stand there and say, I will fear no evil for the Lord is with me. You have to know that he has sanctified you, that he has given his life for you. You have to be willing to pick up your own cross and follow after his example. Lay down whatever he's told you to lay down. Do it the way he wants it done. And then he will send the power of his grace. You know why? 
because the Bible says we're saved by grace, but it only comes through faith. The grace will not come until you've walked it out in faith first. Pentecost is the grace, but Passover is the faith. It took faith for the disciples to make it through that Passover season. It was a hard season. It was a doubtful season. It was a fearful season. This is the time when Jesus was crucified. He was crucified during Passover, and all that they had hoped for was lost. But they had to hold on to the promise. And only by faith, staying true through the Passover season, through the crucifixion, which Christ came to be our Passover lamb, were they able to receive the promise by grace when it came at Pentecost. We all want Pentecost. Nobody wants Passover. But if you will be willing to submit and have faith to let your plans die and do what Jesus did by example, not my will, Lord, but thy will be done, then the Pentecost will come, the power will come, the Holy, the grace will come to empower you to walk it out. If you stay in Egypt, you won't ever see the sea part. That Passover represents salvation. It represents coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, I believe that you are the Son of God. I trust in you. I know you sacrificed for me. I repent of my sins. I turn away from those things. I turn away from my plans. I turn away from my desires. I turn away from what I think should be, and I start trusting in what you say is. Then Pentecost. But Pentecost took some praying to get to. So once you're saved, don't think it stops there. That's when you really got to start praying. That's when you got to get on your knees and seek the Lord. Because when you cry out and you seek the Lord, what you're seeking for is His will, His plan for your life. And guess what? Pentecost is part of that. The power is part of that. The outpouring is part of that. But you've got to get into alignment. You've got to get into position. And for them, in the New Testament, it was a position of prayer. It takes prayer. Paul said that he had to stand fast. He had to stay the course. He had to bring himself into subjection or alignment with God's will. Every day something's going to come up to you. As you grow in grace, the Lord's going to start to show you something in Scripture that our flesh doesn't like. And at that point we have a choice. Get into alignment and continue to see the power of God grow in us and in our lives or refuse it, get out of alignment, get on your own path, and start struggling under the weight of the load because the grace is no longer there. You've stepped out of the river. You've stepped out of the flow. You've stepped out of his plan. You've got to trust him. And you think, well, I can't do it. Well, of course you can't. That's why he gave us grace. Now, I've, I've given this before in our Wednesday teachings, but to me, the greatest example that God has ever shown me about the power of grace is through fasting which the Lord may lead you to do because it's a good lesson. When we come to Jesus, we have to repent of our sins and turn away from it. We have to follow after him. When he calls you to a fast, you can't continue to eat the food and say, well, by grace, I'm making it through this fast. That's not how grace works. That's not how any of this works. (laughs) By faith, I have to push the food away and turn away from the food. And then his grace comes to empower me to walk out that fast. And you can go however long he tells you to go. We've done many 40-day fasts, whatever. And the Lord will give you the strength to do it because 
You try to go on a diet for three days and you can't do it without cheating, yet the Lord says 40 days without food and you do it with no problem and nobody knows you're fasting because you have strength and energy and you actually feel better than you did before. That is the power of God's grace, but it will not come until I first have the faith to return away from the food, which is repentance. And so until we have the faith to turn away from our plan, our logic, our sin, our desire, that is your faith part. The, the repentance is your part. That is faith. When you do that in faith, then his spirit will come to empower you to walk that out. And that is grace. That's his part. Paul didn't just have to start the race. He said he had to finish it. It takes more than a one-time prayer. Faith is not a one-time action. Faith is a continual action. They had faith for the promised land when they came out of Egypt. But they didn't maintain that faith through the wilderness. And so they didn't enter in because of unbelief. And many people hear about Jesus and they come to the altar and they have faith for him then. But when he says, oh, by the way, I need you to give up ABC, they don't have the faith in him at that point to let it go and continue on to make it to promise. So the grace never comes because they really didn't walk it out in faith. And I'm preaching a lesson on faith today because I want you to know how to line up with destiny. Because God has the power to do what no man can do. God has the power of miracles. God has the power to shape the nations. And he can use anyone in here to do it if you will line up with him and just believe. Walk it out by faith. Remember that faith tested is grace proven. So when the things come up against you, when the enemy rises up against you, or when God asks you to do something that seems impossible, how can you ever expect the miraculous power of God to manifest through it if you don't first walk that thing out in faith to let it happen? If you're doing it on your own, you'll never see the grace of God. If you're figuring out on your own every way to make it happen the way you think it should happen, you're never going to see God manifest. It's time to get on your face and cry out and let God do what he does best. Do do it better than we can do it. Cry out in faith and trust him and watch what he does. And if he tells you to do something, which he usually will, and it won't be what you want to do, and it's going to sound absolutely crazy, and it's going to make you look crazy, but when he comes through, that is the grace that proves the faith. Noah looked absolutely insane until it started to rain. So when people are laughing at you and thinking you look crazy, think of poor Noah. He endured it a long time. You have to trust God and follow his leading in faith, and then he will send his grace to work it out. He parts the sea. He supplies the needs. He brings the victory. You just have to get into position by faith, trusting in his plan, and walk under his power for the grace to avail that by getting in line with his will. The Israelites, there were Israelites that stayed in Egypt. They didn't have the faith to leave. They didn't see the sea part. The Israelites that walked through the part at sea, they didn't have to go push the water out of the way. They just had to get into position to be part of that miracle. And they got into position by trusting God and following after him. Even while the enemy pursued, even while it looked impossible. So even while people are telling you there's no way to break that addiction, there's no way to do the things God are telling you to do, there's no way to get this thing through what you're saying God promised you, it is impossible. Then you're like, praise the Lord, hallelujah. That means I'm going to see a miracle. Believe it and go forward. Nothing is too hard for our God, but we've got to get past this point of trying to figure out how to make it happen. 
and start praying and praising and crying out for him to do it and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do to get into alignment with your will so you can make it happen? We waste a lot of time and energy and prayers crying out, telling God what he needs to do instead of saying, Lord, what do you want me to do or not do or stop doing? Because a lot of times he just wants you to be still and shut up and quit messing it up. What do you want me to do, Lord? What do, you, what do I need to give up? What do I need to turn away from? Most times he's going to tell you, get in the Bible, get in your prayer closet, call on my name. And here's the one that we all hate, wait. Sometimes he says, okay, go. But it's usually not until he said, wait, 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 wait. Faith is proven in the waiting. Trust him. He has a plan. Most of the time, our time spent in the waiting is time spent while he's trying to fix what we messed up in the not waiting so that we can go. He's trying to clear this. He's got to clear the stage before he can set it. Just trust him. Trust him. He's going to ask you at some point to do something. Whether he asks you to give something up, to change your plans, your ideas, or to, to do an action, trust him. His power will do it, but he might have to ask you to stretch out a staff and speak to the sea. He might ask you to go and stand before giants and cast them out. He might ask you to have the faith to believe and stand and speak before a congregation of unbelieving hypocrites ready to stone you like Moses did. He might ask you to take the slander, some sticks and stones, and pick up your cross. But the battle belongs to the Lord, and the victory is assured if he sent you to it, he will get you through it. He will fight for you. He will finish what he starts. If he told you to do it, then his grace will come to get you through it. So do it. Here's a hint to know when it is. Usually when it's something you want to do, it's your flesh. When it's something you don't want to do, that's when it's God saying, go do it. Go stand before that giant and tell him off in the name of Jesus. David, little David was 10 years old and he stood before that giant and he said, how dare you defile the name of our God, you uncircumcised Philistine. David didn't have the strength to take out Goliath, but he had faith in the God that did. So he went and he spoke the words that God gave him. And it takes faith to do that. We say courage, courage is a byproduct of faith because it looks like courage on the outside, but on the inside, it's just faith in God's strength and faithfulness. It's faith in his love. When you truly come to understand that God really loves you and he wants to work this thing out for you, you just have to get into alignment with his plan so that he can, you will begin to have faith and faith will cast out fear because when you have faith in his love for you, you will no longer fear that he's not going to be there to catch you when you step out in faith. And when you know you've heard from the Lord, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. A lot of times we don't have faith because we haven't heard the word of the Lord because we haven't gotten alone in the prayer closet to seek him for what he's saying to do. But when you know that he's told you something, you can walk out in faith because he's going to back up what he said to do. Most times the reason we don't have faith is because we're doing so many things of our own leading and there's no power backing it up that it's destroying our faith because it's like I do it and nothing happens. I do it and nothing happens. I do it and nothing happens. Maybe he didn't tell you to do it or maybe he did and he's exercising your faith. Seek the Lord. Know that he's spoken and walk it out by faith. His power will come to back it up eventually. Trust him. Trust him. He will get you through it he is faithful. Have faith in his love. You let your will and plans die that you might 
be glorified with God when his will and plans come alive. Open Romans 8, 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You might go through some hard times. Actually, you're going to go through some hard times. You're going to have to remember that Christ went through it way worse than anything that you're going through. Like Paul said earlier, you haven't suffered against sin to the point where you're actually being having to bleed for it like Christ and many others have. Trust him because if you suffer with him, if you decide to say, not my will, Father, I, this is really hard, but you know what? I'm going to trust your plan is better than mine. Your will be done. Your wisdom is greater than mine. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do what you say to do. I'm going to walk this thing out no matter how my heart breaks, no matter how I get slandered for it, no matter what happens. If you will do it, you will then be glorified with Christ when God's plan comes through. It's an act of faith, but he will come through in the end. Christ was glorified in the end because he had faith through the hardship. Trust him. You've got to lay down your will and walk out his will, and the kingdom of heaven will show up to make it happen. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. I want you to remember that in your mind, part of the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom will come when your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So if I choose, if nobody around me ever does, I choose to walk out your will and then your kingdom will come and manifest through me and around me and in the circumstances of my life because I have aligned with your will. That's where you see God's generals and all these mighty men of God through history that the kingdom of God manifested around them and you think, what in the world did they do? It's what they didn't do. It's what they gave up. It's what they laid aside. It's because these are men who truly died to self and said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I'm going to do what you want me to do and not what I desire, not what I think, not what makes sense to me, but what you tell me to do. And I'm going to believe you. I'm going to be crazy enough to believe that if you tell me to do it, you're going to make it possible. And the more impossible it seems, the more I'm going to praise God because that means a miracle is coming. Believe it by faith. Really quick, let me give you an example of what it looks like when you miss your destiny. Because God has a plan for every life. We are predestined to these things, but we can miss that destiny. We have to choose to align with it. I'm not going to take you there in Scripture for time's sake, but I'm just going to give it to you really quick. In the Old Testament, there's a story about two brothers. One of them's name is Esau. It says that he had a birthright. In other words, it was his destiny to inherit something from his father. It was land, it was property, and it was a lineage. He was actually predestined to be part of the lineage of the Messiah. The lineage of Christ should have come from this bloodline, but it didn't. Why? Because he gave up his birthright. The scripture says that for a bowl of soup, he chose to sell his birthright to his brother. And so all of the blessing and the destiny that went with it went to his brother. 
because he despised his birthright, it says. And if you look up that word despised in the original Hebrew, what it comes down to is that he didn't take it seriously. He took it lightly. And a lot of times God has a plan for our lives that he wants us to walk out, but we take it lightly. We don't esteem it better than the things of the world. And therefore, in God's eyes, we despise it. If we love the plan that God has for us less than the things of the world, then God says we have despised it. And so for this, Esau lost his birthright to please the flesh for one bowl of soup. Don't give up eternal glory for a moment of pleasure in the flesh. And really, when you give up the destiny that God has for you, for anything of this world, it is tangent to giving up everything for something as stupid as a bowl of soup. He traded destiny to feed his flesh for what it wanted. The devil always tells you, focus on right now and don't worry about eternity. God always tells you, focus on eternity, don't worry about right now. Anything that puts your focus on the right here and the right now is of the devil. He's trying to get your focus off of eternity. Really, that's what happened to Peter in the boat. Peter said, Lord, bid me come. When he said, Lord, bid me come, what was he saying? God, if it's your will, then I will be able to walk out of this boat. He knew that if this is in alignment with God's will, he will send the power to do it. If it's your will, I'm going to be able to walk on water. So, But I'm waiting. Is it your will? He sought the Lord. The Lord said, yes, come. He got out of the boat. Then he started focusing on the storms around him, on the right here, the right now, the attacks, not on Jesus. He started to sink, but here's the good news. The Bible says that when he cried out immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and pulled him back and said, oh, you of little faith. So if you have gotten out of alignment with the will of God for your life, all you have to do is cry out. But it takes a moment of desperation. Peter had to get to the point where he thought, I'm surely going to die. And then he cried out. But immediately, God pulled him back on track. Now, what do you think really was going on here? God was preparing Peter for another time in his life when he would get his focus off of Jesus and start focusing on the storm around him and lose his faith. It's faith that gets you through. It's faith that moves the mountain. It's faith in what God says and then faith to walk that thing out. Peter lost his faith in the water. That's why he started sinking. And God was trying to show him that if you just cry out, I will get you back on track because he knew that the crucifixion was coming and that Peter was going to lose his faith in the midst of that storm. Peter denied Christ. Peter lost his faith. You might think all is lost for Peter. But Peter remembered, I cried out last time, and he got me back on track. And all we have to do is truly come to that place of desperation where we acknowledge that we need his help. Cry out, and immediately he will get you back on track. Trust in him for it. Because a righteous man who is in right standing with God can avail much. The the scripture talks about all the things that righteous people can do. The righteous will cry out and God will answer them. No matter what, he will hear their prayers. He's never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. The fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. What makes you a righteous man? 
getting in alignment with God's will, being in right standing, right where he wants you to be in this season. And no matter what comes against you, he's going to run to your aid because he wants you to walk that thing out the way he has designed it. Another example of someone who got out of alignment with their destiny is Samson. Samson was called from his mother's womb, from before he was even conceived, to be a judge and a deliverer, a mighty man over Israel. He was predestined to walk this thing out. But he refused to be obedient to the voice of the Lord through his life. He wouldn't stay in alignment with God's plan. He had great power and anointing because the anointing came to fulfill God's purpose, which was going to be fulfilled through him. But because he kept getting out of alignment with God's plan, he lost the anointing and he became, the Bible says, as other men. One of the saddest scriptures in the whole Bible, it says that he went out to fight this battle and he did not know that the Lord had left him. There's a lot of people preaching and singing and professing to be Christians and believers in the world today that are walking in no power and no anointing and they haven't even realized, some of them, that the Lord has left them and many of them they do. They're just still going through the motions but they're not seeing any fruit of it because they've gotten out of alignment with God's will, God's plan for their life out of alignment with his word, with what he says to do. But Samson, Samson came to a place because of his own decisions, following his own plan, his own will, that he was captured by the enemy, the anointing had left, he was bound, he was tied up by the enemy, they blinded him, they plucked out his eyes, you start doing things your own way, the first thing you're going to lose is your spiritual sight. You're not going to have any idea now where you're going, what you're doing. Lord, what am I supposed to do? Before the Lord was directing your paths and now you don't even know what's going on. You're just going through the motions. They tied him up. They tied him to a stone, a grindstone, a meal, and they made him push it to grind the wheat. Scripturally speaking, the wheat represents God's people. Samson's destiny was to deliver God's people from the enemy. Instead, he ends up grinding bread to feed the enemy, and the wheat that he's grinding is a representation of God's own people. He's trampling his own people underfoot to feed the enemy when he should be delivering them. You do it your own way, you're going to end up aiding the enemy. No matter how noble you might think your cause, you've got to do it God's way. But Samson, Samson got desperate. Samson realized that he had it, and he lost it and he wanted it back. So he cried out. It's one verse, it's very simple, but it's one of the most powerful prayers in scripture. Samson's prayer. Samson cried out, Lord, if it kill me, anoint me one more time. As he stood in the temple of the enemy with more of the enemy around him than he had ever faced in his whole lifetime, while they mocked him and teased him, he cried out, God, anoint me one more time, no matter the cost. And the Lord answered his prayer. He got back into alignment with God's will instead of his own. And it says that Samson defeated more of the enemy in his dying than in his living, is the way the scriptures read it. You will defeat more of the enemy in your dying than you ever could in your living. 
When you let your plan die, when you let your will die, when you let your flesh die, when you let your perceptions die, when you let your intellect die, when you let what you think you know die, then God can use you to do great and mighty things. He did more for the kingdom of God in his dying than in his living. You will do more for God in your dying than in your living. Let your plans die. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Commit to submit. Pick up your cross. Crucify your own plans and walk after God's. And then you will be counted righteous. And then you will have all the rewards of righteousness. But it takes faith. Without faith, you will get off course. Faith is a continual state, not a one-time thought or decision. We looked at Peter. Peter had faith to get out of the boat, but he didn't continue to maintain that faith, and so he began to sink. You have to believe what God tells you, but you then have to continue to walk that thing out by faith. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Think not that the Lord will do anything for this man. Trust in what God tells you and walk it out to the end. Pull up Matthew 14, 30. I want you to see this and you'll get to use your underlining. Because I want you all to underline this in your scripture because the Lord will cause you to open to this again one day and you're going to need to see this one word underlined. This is Peter when he walked on water. But when he saw the winds boisterous, he's already out on the water and he sees the wind beginning to blow. The enemy's rising up against him. Things are not looking so good. He became afraid and began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately. You can underline your immediately. 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 Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? If you begin to doubt, if you have doubted, if you are doubting because you lost faith and you started to sink, cry out to Jesus. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall, you might be saved. No, you shall be saved. But you got to cry out and you got to get desperate enough to really cry out. Cry out doesn't sound like, okay, Lord, fix it. Cry out sounds like on your face screaming out, Jesus, help me. I need you. I am drowning. It wasn't a little whimper. He called out. Call out to the name of the Lord and he will get you back on course. Just like Samson and just like Peter, all you have to do is cry out and immediately he will pull you back and put you in alignment with your destiny. Stay in alignment. Walk it out by faith and you will see the miracles and the miraculous start to happen again. Even if your destiny is to walk on water like Peter, just cry out and he will get you back in alignment. It's time for some people to get into alignment with destiny. Some of us need to pray Samson's prayer. Lord, anoint me again. You know, God knows because I didn't even realize it till just now, but Wayne had given a word last night in prayer that he felt that some people were dealing with dryness. And really, that's a lot of what this word is. You felt that fire of God and that passion when you first got saved and you knew that you were destined to do mighty things for the Lord and, and you were on course and you were marching out and you were seeing things happen. God was moving mountains around you 
and then over time, nothing, nothing. It's getting drier. It's getting drier. I'm just walking through a desert. I don't even know where I'm going. I'm spiritually blinded. It's because you got out of alignment with his will. You got out of alignment with his word. He told you to do something that you didn't do. He told you to give up something you didn't give up. He told you to go somewhere that you didn't go. You got out of alignment. You started following your own plan and not his. So for those, we have to come to that place where we're willing to cry out like Peter did, like Samson did, Lord, anoint me one more time, even if it kills me. I will surrender all. I will lay it all down no matter what it takes. I have to feel your presence. I have to know that I am alignment with your will. Some of us, some of us don't feel that separation because we've never experienced it. Samson knew what he lost because he had it. Some of us have never had it because we didn't know how to get it. Nobody ever told us that it's more than an incantation. It's not a Lord come into my life, okay, it's done. It's a crucifixion. It's a laying down of our will so that we can receive his spirit. It's a picking up of his cross in faith and trusting his grace to come behind it and make it happen the way that he says that it will. It's time for all of us to cry out. So the altars are open. We're going to move into the altar service. And I tell you prophetically that many amongst us in this room right now stand on the brink of destiny. That a word for the church now even is that we are standing at the door of destiny. Will you be able to enter in? Are you standing at the right door? Will you even notice that it's opening? Are you in alignment with his will for your life? Do you want to see the miracle manifestation of God's glory in this world and have your place in it? God's will will be done. He will get what he wants. That is not in question. What is in question is will you walk your part out in it or will it be passed to another? Esau lost his place in his destiny and it was given to his brother. Samson lost a lot in the season that he was out. He actually lost his wife that he was supposed to have from the Lord before he ever met Delilah because he was out of alignment with God's will. You will lose a lot. He lost his eyes and he lost his life. Yes, in the end, he cried out and he got it back, but in the waiting, how much did he miss? How many souls were he meant to save? How many people was he meant to deliver? How much did the enemy take that he didn't need to take because he got out of alignment with God's will for his life? So Lord, give us a heart to cry out to you. Lord, give us a heart to recognize and a humility to come before you with a position of submission to say, Lord, I need to feel your presence like I did. Like I did years back, Lord. Like I did weeks back, Lord. Like I did because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you are not a God that leaves your people wanting. You said that you would give us rivers of living water that we could come when we're thirsty and that we don't have to be thirsty. We don't have to be dry. You made a way for us to continually drink from the wellsprings of your spirit, but it takes faith and submission is a product of faith, Lord. So help our unbelief. 
We come to you, Lord, with submission, Lord, asking and crying out individually and as a body, Lord. Line us up with your will. Put us in position to walk out the part that you have for us to play in it, that you can release your grace and your anointing to walk that thing out and bring it to its fruition. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.